Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Wyatt Sinek and Donwell have enjoyed a long friendship and working relationship, with the GJ providing beats and sidekick commentary for Sinek when he had a long-running Monday night stand-up showcase in Brooklyn called Night Train, which also begat a CISO series of the same name. They also worked together on HBO's Problem Areas with Wyatt Sinek. And since 2011, the duo has presided over a live movie screening event called Shouting at the Screen, in which they provide running commentary and more while watching a classic exploitation film. After hitting pause for two years during the pandemic, they've relaunched Shouting at the Screen in a new location in Prospect Park. Sinek and Donwell joined me over Zoom to talk about their comedy collaborations, the joy of guiding audiences through cinematic experiences, and how to balance jokes and silly ideas with weighty subject matter. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, uh, Wyatt and Donald, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. Um, we, can, we can start shouting uh, whenever you want. Sure. Since we, are, since we are looking at a screen and talking about shouting at the screen. Um, it's good to see you, Sean. Thanks for having us. <laughs> it's been too long. That's I just think, thirty minutes of that. <laughs> yeah. Have I? Why have I even seen you since Problem Areas, or in person, or no? Probably not. No, because I think that went down, and I'm not saying that the pandemic was uh, a response to my show being canceled, but those two things fell on the heels of one another pretty quickly. So I don't know if that was just the earth saying, Hey, we, we wanted more of this show. Uh, instead, we'll just give you a, a pandemic that's killing people. Yeah. Mother nature does have a way of answering questions. You didn't even know you asked. So yeah, well, that makes sense. When when was the first time you two met up? I know you've worked together for quite a while, whether it was doing the live uh, shouting at the screen shows or working on Night Train, the CISO, RIP, CISO show. Yeah. That you did as a live show for years before that at Littlefield. When was when was the first time you guys met? Uh, it was it was at a. I believe at a Tanya Morgan release party, my group, um, a friend of mine, Elias, a member of the group of, he's, he was a member of the group. He had invited Wyatt out. Um, they had a relationship or they know they knew each other and they were like trying to link up in person. Elias was in town. Um, yeah. And he introduced us and being that he was the one that didn't live in New York, I stole his friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's more or less, I think, yeah. Ilyas was working on a solo project that he asked me to help out on uh, because what a lot of people don't know is I make amazing beats. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, invited me to this thing and wound up ditching both Don and I 
He disappeared to New Jersey and left the two of us just hanging out. Uh, So I don't know that it's as much Don stole a friend as Ilias saw an opportunity to abandon two friends. (laughs) Mm, Here we go. The truth finally comes out. That's that's the way it should be worded. He was like a deadbeat dad where he he said he left us at a nightclub and said, I'm going to go out for some cigarettes. I'll be right back. But get your baseball gloves out because we're all going to play catch. <laughs> and then, yeah, some a decade later, we're still waiting. So at that point, Wyatt, in your career, were you already at The Daily Show at that point? Or were you at that strange point right before The Daily Show where you were like couch surfing and things like that? No, I was at The, I was at the Daily Show at that point. Um, I, yeah, I'd maybe been in New York for a little less than a year at that point. And Don, had you done any work with comedians before? Um, I hadn't. No, I, I honestly, I didn't. I don't think, I think Wyatt was the first comedian that I ever really like met and hung out with. I mean, I I, I was aware of comedy. I've been to shows, but I'd never like, you know, been able to have a conversation with someone that did comedy. So the idea of spending every Monday night for the rest of your life in <laughs> Gowanus slash Park Slope yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what what spell Wyatt put on Littlefield, but I am just bound to that venue for. <laughs> and yet I'm free. I, that was the deal. I had to, I had to lock someone else in so I could, <laughs> I could get free. I have to put the spell on somebody else next. Yeah, no, got it. I would suggest Joe, but I feel like Joe is the kind of person who puts spells on other people. Yeah, I got I got to cast it on somebody before they cast it on me again, and I don't right. want to, you know. So, was shouting at the screen the first thing that you guys did together, or did you do other projects? Did you work on Wyatt's Beats, or what was the first thing you guys actually did together? Did shouting come before Night Train? Yeah, shouting came before oh, wow. Night Train. Yeah, I think that was the first thing, and yeah, it kind of started in a in a weird place not a weird place but don and i had gotten invited to uh someone's home i don't even know who the person was we were at a show and then it was one of those uniquely new york things where you're at a music show and then there's someone who lives close by who you don't know who's just like everyone come over to my place and we wound up at this apartment where the owner of the apartment started putting on, I I think put on the thing with two heads and we were just like, Oh yeah, what a ridiculous movie. And there's a bunch of ridiculous black exploitation movies. It'd be fun to watch more of these and be like weird and silly. And I think in that space, everyone was kind of like getting drunk and just like, what the fuck is this? And so I think the idea was sort of born out of that. And then, from there, yeah, it became about finding a location and a, and people willing to let us do this very ridiculous idea. And was it was it always centered around black exploitation films from the get go, or did you have did you two have a discussion about that first? Uh, it was it was centered around black exploitation primarily because it's such a finite amount of films and. You know, like there are these kind of films that are born from that era of filmmaking that are like Menace of Society and Boys in the Hood and kind of like these 
these eighties and well nineties black films that would that people suggest have suggested to me that we screen, but those sort of films don't necessarily have the um, they have a little bit more of like fanfare and a little bit more of like like nostalgia. People remember them very vividly and like they remember them and celebrate them in a way that they don't celebrate the vast canon of black exploitation films outside of like two or three different titles. Right. So it was it was always um, focused on uh, black exploitation films just just to make sure that it was you know properly celebrated. Right. There's a lot more than just Dolomite out there. Yeah. Yeah. What what for both of you? What were your first kind of childhood memories or experiences where you had your own shouting at the screen experience? Do you remember a movie or, or or place? I mean, I think for me, I oftentimes was that kid that would go into the theater and the with my friends and the lights would go down and we would be like space, the final frontier. And we'd get like a few titters from other people in the movie theater. And that would make us feel like we were some like comedy geniuses. And at some point, I'm sure if somebody realized, oh, it's those same kids that just keep going to every theater doing that. Um, But then I remember at various points being in movie theaters and feeling like, you know, either whether it was in college or even in high school too, the sort of fun collective experience of going to a movie that everyone had, if it was something that was ridiculous or, you know, I, I feel like the last movie I remember being at like that was maybe after college, I went and saw that movie Hancock um, with uh, Will Smith and Charlize Theron. And there's a moment in that film. I remember there were like kids watching the film in front of me and they were little kids and they were totally wrapped up in it. And then there's a moment where the film totally shifts and they and everyone else in the theater were just kind of like, wait, what? But they, the fact that they, everyone had been paying attention to these kids who were like bouncing in their seats. And then at some point, like they're thrown by it. And it was like, all right, we can all agree. If the nine-year-olds realize that this is a giant plot hole, we're all, we're all on board. Right. And I just remember that like sense of, oh yeah, we like, we all know what we saw and that sense of relief that we don't have to pretend anymore. Yeah. Uh, I would say for me, uh, there was, there was kind of like in the, when, when DVDs and see like when rap albums would come with DVDs, like, so like master P would shoot a film to compliment a rap album or like Cameron or Jay-Z has streets is watching. There were these films that you could only get if you bought the album or bought them on a bootleg and, and we would watch them over and over again and invite people over to watch them with us. And like to what, what Wyatt was saying, like there's parts of the movie where you're talking through it with your homies and you're like, okay, watch this part, watch this part. And like, everybody just kind of like freaks out. Like, yo, what was that? That was crazy. Rewind it. Like the jokes are happening. And there's this, there's this joy in sharing those, like those, uh, those moments over and over again with groups of people, you know? Oh yeah. No, even just talking, you know, uh, I had a flashback to when, I was maybe nine or 10 and the first movie that I remember hearing people talking back to the screen was uh, the old clash of the Titans 
movie that had Harry Hamlin and Burgess Meredith, I think was the voice of like a robotic owl or something like that. And uh, yeah, sure. It was yeah. just, it was just so ridiculous. And I think part of it was the special effects at the time, but people would shout and make, and make jokes throughout the, that movie. And then right before I moved to New York, I was working at a newspaper in Boston and this is before Twitter. <laughs> they had me, they had me go to the midnight, uh, the midnight premiere screening of snakes on a plane. And I did a, I did a minute by minute commentary on the film that they then published. So oh, wow. Full, so full of spoilers, but, <laughs> but we kind of published, so like, here's how to enjoy snakes on the plane. Yeah. Peace. So there, there's something fun about the guided experience through a film though. You know what I'm saying? Like just in general, even if, even if it's a film you've seen hundreds of times, like when you're showing it to somebody new for the first time, you get to watch it through their eyes in a way. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's, there are very few things like that that exist where you can get an audience of people and have a sort of call and response in that kind of a way that, you know, if you go to a stand-up show, the response is laughter. It's not really about like trying to collectively say, Hey, this thing we all heard was, you know, weird or didn't make sense. It's very much a a very directed and guided thing. And I, I think with a movie as well, you know, there are the moments where you maybe jump in your seat or do those things, but it also feels like, it's fun if you're in a movie and that moment that you're supposed to jump in your seat or that the director hoped you would jump in your seat. If you don't, that we can all collectively be like, yeah, did anybody piss their <laughs> pants? Did, if, it's okay if you did, but just, just uh, let's just take a straw poll here. Anybody piss their pants with that. That was not blood. That was paint. Yeah. We're all very aware but that was paint. I suppose I suppose pre-pandemic we did have collective movies like that such as The Room right or before that Showgirls maybe and then when I was a kid there was always Rocky Horror Picture Show was but it was always the same movie over and over that people would go to. It's not like what you're doing or what uh Mystery Science Theater was doing which is oh we're going to go through a whole catalog of films and yeah, well, and I think what's fun about, especially going that far back to the 70s, I mean, you can do this with the 80s or the 90s as well, is I think about the movies that we're watching right now, and so many of the movies that we see, the special effects, we're like, oh my God, these special effects are amazing. We've never seen anything like this. It's it looks so real. And I remember when like, you know, the Phantom Menace came out and we were like, oh, my God, these special effects, special effects have hit their peak. They're never going to get better than this. (laughs) And then if you go back and you watch it, it's like that looks like shit. (laughs) And what's so fascinating to me when I look at some of these movies, and especially going back to those black exploitation era movies, there is a moment in time where 
the special effects. There, some of these movies have real money behind them, and this was an action movie that would be on par with your great action movies like a Hancock. Um, and so I think in those ways, there's something about it that you're watching it and you're kind of appreciating the fact that at this moment in time, somebody was like, that was an amazing bit of special effects. You look at a movie like The Thing with Two Heads, Rick Baker did the special effects on that movie. It was the first movie he ever did. He went on to do The Nutty Professor and so many, you know, I think Alien or one of those. Right. Uh, but like the premier special effects makeup guy and he did the thing with two heads and it looks terrible by comparison to the work he's doing now. And yet in that moment, somebody approved it and they were like, that really does look like Rosie Greer's head on Ray Milan's body. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. It looks like it's breathing. It'd be kind of like looking at uh, clips of an open micer and being like, Oh yeah, but this guy is is a is a great headliner in twenty years. Right, yeah. A hundred percent. Tell me how how you're approaching shouted shouting at the screen differently now since you had a couple years off. And it's been over a decade since you guys first started doing it. Have you are you approaching it differently in twenty twenty two and going forward? I'm More hand say, sanitizer. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't have drink we don't have drink games anymore. It's hand sanitizer games. Yeah. Wash your hands every time something happens. Yeah, whenever someone dies, just sanitize your hands. <laughs> I would say the biggest change is this quarterly now instead of uh monthly. Um and that that in a sense makes it feel a little bit more rare and a little bit more special and a little bit more like, you know. We had we were we built community around these films and around the event that would show up every every month and like to uh, what we were saying before, you know, there's a finite amount of films and at at Alamo we could only show a certain amount of those films so we ended up repeating a bunch of stuff from over the years so there were people who traveled from theater to theater to theater and they were kind of just like they these had become their favorite films again like because they mm-hmm. had seen it three or four times so now it's like with the event being spaced out a little bit more and us having a little more latitude to pick different films. We're digging a little, a little bit deeper into the craze to show stuff that we had never, we'd never shown before and stuff that like was kind of on our wish list to show that, you know, we haven't got the chance to. Yeah. And I think the quarterly thing as well, it's, it's nice because we're getting older and, you know, just to get out once a month, Oh, it's so, <laughs> so hard. If anything, this <laughs> pandemic has really just made getting out a premium, not for the audience, just for me. Like, I, I can get my groceries delivered. Why do I need to go out anymore? Um, but I do think, I, I think that that idea, you know, for us, whenever we were doing it, it always felt like the fun thing is, Don would DJ, uh, we'd have the movie. Like it really felt like, okay, let's make a a night of this, that if you're going to come out for this, let's, you don't just have to come out for the movie that we're doing it in a space that has food and alcohol. Don's playing music. So you can come before the show and hang out and, you know, pick your seats or whatever but eat a little before the, before the movie starts, but just hang out and catch up with a friend 
then go into this movie, enjoy the movie. And then, you know, if you want to keep hanging out, keep hanging out. And I, because I, I do think going to the movies is such a, it's such a great experience, but it's also one that as an audience, you, you're still part of the, you're still in a show. So even though our thing is called shouting at the screen, it's, you know, it's a, it's a guided shouting. It's not like, you know, it's not chaos at the screen and it's not, all right, well, they're shouting. So why don't you and I catch up with what you've been up to for the last three weeks? How'd that date go? Did you file your taxes? Like that's not, it's, we don't want to turn it into a coffee house right. with a movie in the background. Or a free for all where, where the, the shouting just all cancels each other out. So, you know, exactly. And so I think that's where, you know, you mentioned the room and Rocky horror. And I feel like what we've, what we've tried to do. And over the years, I feel like how the show has evolved is trying to create our own sort of version of what shows like that do when you have those public screenings where, all right, there are the moments where we drink or we all sort of celebrate something or call something out together. And that, even though it's a movie that you haven't seen in the same way that people have seen Rocky Horror a dozen times or seen uh, The Room a dozen times, we're trying to set those those things up for you in the beginning so you as the viewer can keep an eye on them because I'll be honest, 20 minutes in, I'm pretty shit-faced. And so I'm not paying attention. So I need somebody else to at least be like, ha ha, somebody died. Okay. Let's all, let's all celebrate. <laughs> is is that something the two of you learned from working together on night train, whether it was the, the live shows at Littlefield or then, you know, bumping them up to recorded specials for CISO in that you, you had to do something more than just a straight stand-up showcase, like really put a sh- curated show together. I mean, I think on some level, that's always, I, I, I think that's always been top of mind for me was that a show is an experience and you want to give the person in the audience the best experience you can and try to give them a complete experience. And so I, I think for me, that's always been top of mind. The challenge has always been well, you want to give people an experience, but do you have the budget to give them yeah. that experience? It's okay. Yeah. You want pyrotechnics, but can you afford that? Or can you just afford a couple sticks of incense? <laughs> is, is that the difference between CISO money and HBO money? Uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. I, I was, I don't know that I was on the top level of HBO money. So the, <laughs> The HBO money and the CISO money, a lot closer than you would have thought. <laughs> it was just the brand of incense. It wasn't necessarily just incense or pyrotechnics. Yeah. You're like, oh, this really getting... does smell like cinnamon. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't getting Game of Thrones cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what happened with the rights to Night Train? Is, can people find that now? Or do you own those? What do you? I believe it's available on Stars. Yeah. I think last time I checked, it was on stars. Okay. Yeah. And then Don, you also 
worked on problem areas too, right? I did, yeah. I mean, as wide as you were answering my other question, it certainly it certainly felt like you you kept the viewer experience at top of mind for problem areas as well, even though it delved into serious topics for an entire season. You still had these interstitials or these these moments that 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 people can enjoy or just be like, oh, well, what the heck was that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was always very deliberate. To I, I remember just with that show, really wanting to make something that you had the story we're telling, but you also have other bits of information that can exist separate from that larger narrative, uh, whether that's, yeah, the smaller kind of like quick hit, uh, you know, um, modest proposal things that we would do, or just little things within the episode. We were very deliberate in thinking about, okay, the way that we've shot just this one little moment, that could be a gif. And if the, you know, if the corporate digital team has the gif squad on it, they could basically chop up this episode and a lot of gifts that could be passed around. And while those aren't touching on the serious topic we're discussing, that's still maybe driving someone to be like, Oh, what was that dumb gift from? Oh, it's from this show. And then they're like, Oh, now I'm learning about police abolition. Oh, what a backwards way to do that. (laughs) That, that, That's how, that's how it goes. But the information, the transfer of information is just like one minute you're enjoying a Leonardo DiCaprio gift and the next minute you're figuring out what it's from. And then you're just in that cinematic universe. Yeah. What have you learned, you know, talking about like that mix of like playful, playful gifs with, with police abolition. And then now where you're talking about like shouting at the screen for black exploitation films, what have you, what have you both learned in terms of like, what's the ideal mix of delving into serious topics, but also being able to be lighthearted without, without getting the audience confused as to what, like, what's the joke and what, what should we seriously take away from this stuff? There's a level of um, I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to overuse the the sugar with the the medicine metaphor, but there's definitely a level of just levity with certain heavy topics that you kind of have to have in order to make people listen to you. Um, if you if you're constantly saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, eventually people will just kind of like stop looking up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> until you say, until you like, you just got to like slowly guide their sight line to notice that something's falling as opposed to like forcing their heads up, you know? And I think, I think by, you know, using humor, you can use humor, but it's also about engaging with these things in a real way. I, I'm, I mean, when I think about uh, shouting at the screen, one of the things that's fascinating about it is a lot of these movies are actually trying to talk about social issues. And sometimes they're doing it in really clumsy ways. Sometimes they're doing it in, they're often doing it in outdated ways (laughs) that today feel very problematic. And so I feel like there's, even in being able to kind of look at 
these films in a loving yet poking fun way, there is an under, there is something underneath that, that we can also point to, you know, at the end of the show, we don't have a voter registration drive or anything like that, (laughs) but it does feel like, okay. Yeah. By the time this show is over, like, you know, I've mentioned the thing with two heads before, but they are talking about something very serious there, which is, you know, they're, they're talking one about like, you know, incarceration and the way that we treat those who are incarcerated. And they're also talking about the medical profession and they, there's a moment in the film where they try to have that conversation. It's just weird because there's a man with another man's head attached to his neck, but they do try to get into these things. And it's, and I think, you know, if anything, it's, it's, these things continue to be repeated decade over decade over decade, and they're worth repeating. And as much as they're worth repeating, it's also worth remembering that, oh yeah, the same racism that we're calling out today, like get out a lot of the same conversation that's happening and get out. You can see some of that same conversation happening in a movie like the thing with two heads or a movie like uh, uh, there's another one, uh, peace of mind, I believe is what it's called. Um, but yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, you can do that. And then at the same time be like, what horrible special effects or drink. Cause that guy died. <laughs> <laughs> well, as someone who has, especially over the last six years, since 2016 found myself uh, screaming a little too much at my phone, at the TV news, at just about any screen. Uh, I'm, I'm sincerely grateful that you guys are are bringing back shouting at the screen to give us all a more cathartic experience. So, so thanks for bringing it back. Thank you for having us <laughs> back. <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.